Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Incomparable, number 677, August 2023. Welcome back to The Incomparable, everyone. I am your guest host, Annette Weirstra, and it's a Barbie world, and I am a Barbie girl. So when Jason Snell gave us a window to talk all about the Barbie movie, I jumped right through and brought some of my friends with me, including Shelly Brisbane. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. I'm doing the splits right now. Of course you are. Heather Berberet. Hi, Barbie. Hey, Barbie. Can't wait to talk. Also, Kathy Campbell. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. This is the best day ever. Every day is the best day. And we can't do this without Brian Hamilton. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Note to the podcasters, Brian Hamilton's the wrong person to cast to make this point. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. And finally, Moises Chulian. Hi, Barbie. Doesn't seem to matter what I do. I'm always number two. Hi, Barbie. So Barbie from Greta Gerwig has been breaking records with the biggest movie of the year so far and making a very pink splash on our summer. Headed by Margot Robbie as Barbie and Ryan Gosling as Ken, this movie is supported by a wealth of actors who bring this story to life. I went in with really high hopes based on Greta's track record. Uh, Greta and I are on a first name basis Uh, and the trailers. uh, And yet the movie I saw was not the movie I expected in a good way. And in fact, I had to go back for a second time before this episode because I needed to think about everything before we recorded. And I wanted to start with finding out each of your expectations and experiences with Barbie in general and this movie specifically. And I will start back with you, Shelley. So I, I am not a Barbie girl of long standing. I mean, I had Barbies mostly. My sister's Barbies were in the space that I was in, and I did have a Barbie beach bus because it was a vehicle and I liked it. Uh, but I, I was not somebody who loved and adored Barbies. And frankly, I wouldn't be expected, I wouldn't have expected myself to be so enthusiastic about this movie before it happened. But I saw the first trailer and I just loved it. And I just I, and I don't like trailers mostly. I, I just I mean, I don't I don't see a trailer and think, oh, that's a movie I want to watch or I don't want to watch. I don't make my decisions that way. But when I saw the first trailer, I was just like, OK, this is going to be amazing. And it's Greta Gerwig. So I'm going to trust her, even though it might not necessarily be content that I particularly like, and I wasn't really wild about the sort of commercial connectivity between in, uh, Mattel and Greta Gerwig's production. But um, the first trailer was like, okay, just just relax and enjoy it, which is kind of what I did. And, and like you, Annette, I did not see the movie I expected to see, but that was perfectly fine. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, Heather? So I'm 54, which means that... Um 
I am of two generations of Barbie. I am of the generation where my mother said I was not allowed to play with Barbie because Barbie was anti-feminist and would make me, I don't know what, but was not ex- allowed in my home. But Barbie so fixed I all had, feminism. <laughs> mm-hmm, in this movie, but that is not what my mother believed. And so I've had Barbie and me my entire life, uh, but was not allowed to play with them. But I have a child uh, who is 17. So she uh, (laughs) was born right before the Barbie movies came out. Not this movie, but the Barbie animated movies, which you may not know about if you do not have a child of that age, which were these crazy female empowerment movies, which I think this this movie refers to references much more strongly, where Barbie is the center of everything and kicks everybody's butts all the time, Um, where I where I really came to love Barbie from these awfully animated movies. Uh, The animation is so bad, but where the storyline is so girl centric and so girl power. Um, So my daughter got to have some Barbies and she got to have other dolls too. We weren't as strict a non-Barbie household. So I have this kind of dual generation Barbie. So I was really looking forward to this movie because I was very excited to see what kind of messaging was going to happen here. And I actually got the movie I expected, which I am so, so deeply satisfied about that is very fun kathy so i was lucky enough to not only have my generation of barbies but my mom had saved all of her generation of barbies so i got to play with you know some of the original barbies as well as mine And the shoes fit and the clothes fit and the accessories fit. It was a little bit different. Um, I also never really got any of the extra articulated Barbies, like with the knee and elbow joints um, that were really cool. Or like the ballerina Barbie with the pointed uh, point shoes, which I was always really sad about. But that's okay because I had, you know my my stuff including the truck with the rv that attached to the truck and then you could pull the i guess it's like a like a motorhome or like i forget what it's called it doesn't matter this is barbie movie stuff camper uh and then my mom cleaned all of that up and we gave it to my kid when they were eight for their eighth Christmas. And so three generations of Barbie currently living in my house, even though they don't really get played with anymore, but that's okay because who knows what will happen in the future. Uh, I had no expectations going into this movie. I got to dress up with my kid and a friend and her daughter. We all wore pink, had a great time. It was on a weekend that the next day we saw Six the Musical, and the day after that we saw Taylor Swift. So, like, it was a full, oh, like, just an the most weekend. magical weekend ever. Special outfits every day. I highly recommend doing more things that you get to, like, find random outfits at Goodwill and Ross to have fun with. Uh, So I need more of that in my life. Um, But it was just absolutely incredible. I did not expect to cry. I will say that. And I cried Mm -hmm. several times in it. Uh, And it was just 
so magical. And I'm so thankful that this movie exists in the world that we have now. I too uh, got hand-me-down Barbies from my aunts. So I had 60s Barbies, 70s Barbies, and 80s Barbies. And I'm so, like, I had such vintage stuff that my Barbie camper was yellow, not pink, because it wasn't pink yet in the 70s. Uh, So that's fun. All the multi-generational Barbies. And I still have them. Brian. I came to this movie as a Greta Gerwig stan. I'm a massive Lady Bird fan, one of my favorite movies, and Little Women is incredible. Have not seen Francis mm-hmm. Ha yet, so cancel me on Twitter, everyone. Uh, I went into this movie expecting a really, really good movie, and it was still even better than my expectations. I did one of the most strict full media blackouts I think I've ever done for this movie. I did see the opening sequence that they had posted with the 2001 thing that we're going to talk about, but that's all I wound up seeing until until I actually saw the movie. I knew the production design was going to be wild. I knew that Greta Gerwig was going to do something really weird with this. And it was even more subversive than I expected. I cried as well, both emotional tears and laughter tears. I had the most fun I think I've had in a very long time. This movie reminded me the most of, as soon as I saw Will Ferrell, it reminded me of the Lego movie of all things, like auteurs Hmm. taking on this wildly huge franchise that hadn't really done movies of this caliber before. Of course, there were like smaller Lego movies and there's smaller Barbie movies. But the fact that Mattel trusted Greta Gerwig to take this and turn it into as weird of a thing as it is. First of all, I'm fascinated to see what is on the cutting room floor, if anything. And second... I think Mattel knew that if they didn't go 110% leaning into it, it was going to bomb and it would just be like pink garbage. And it is pink magic. Um, I do know, uh, real quick sneaking in here, I read an article that said there was apparently a joke that was so naughty, it made like the testers or the people at Mattel, like their jaws dropped and they're like, this is hilarious, but we can't have it in the movie i don't know what that joke is so anyone finds it you know make sure to share it with us we want to know allegedly um people who saw test screenings said that there was like a a a brief extended farting sequence of some sort (laughs) um and uh the uh thing that Issa ray says toward the end of the movie isn't wasn't bleeped originally Mm. oh i don't mind if they cut fart jokes Uh Yeah. Yeah. Well, in Time did an article that I highly recommend about how it came to be, the movie came to be. And it talks about how the reporter talked to Mattel execs who say, oh, this is not a feminist movie. And then they talk to um, Robbie, who they they tell her that the Mattel says it's not a feminist movie. And she like raises her eyebrows and kind of looks around and shifts and says, well, everybody has their own interpretations about whether the movie's a feminist movie or not. And I'm like, what? So clearly, I feel like that's pretty clear, but... There were some, you know, people have different ways of reading the movie, obviously. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great article in time. Yeah. Moises. Um, a little bit echoing Brian. Uh, I'm a big fan of Lady Bird and, uh, and Gerwig's Little Women adaptation. I've seen many adaptations of Little Women, but this is the best one, if you ask me, um, because it, it is, it is more than just adapting the source. And that is the, the added touch that I really loved about what she did with Barbie, where 
similar in in some ways to the kind of dynamic with the Lego movie, there is there is a little bit of something more that could be done with this as an intellectual property. And you've got the imaginary land of intellectual property stuff and the real world. And you don't really explain metaphysically how it all works, but do you really need to? Who cares? That's not what anybody's here to to do. But Gerwig went, I would say, yards and leaps and bounds and, and fathoms further than, than the Lego movie did with this, where this isn't the Barbie movie made for those little kids that the terribly animated Barbie animated movies are made for. This is very much for kids Sasha's age, the uh, the tweens and teens that will wither you with a look or call you white savior Barbie with a straight face. Um, <laughs> and and that's that's really what what I adore so much about this and couldn't have expected as high as my expectations were based on Gerwig's previous work. And I, I've been following her since she was predominantly known as an actor in what were called mumblecore movies that were like zero, zero budget, nothing movies that the same kind of collective of various friends kept making that were making the festival circuit rounds. Um, and I, I am, I am thrilled that she is uh, calling the shots. Sure. But setting the tone for this is what can make gigantic boatloads of money without entirely compromising your indie cred, as it were. Um, it is okay to go commercial if you go commercial the right way and <laughs> include um, criticism of, of corporate money-based speech and plutocracy in the first 15 <laughs> minutes of your movie. <laughs> Oh, I have to say I did not get spoiled for that opening scene. And uh, I think baby dolls are the worst. They're creepy. I didn't like playing with them as a kid. I liked my Barbies. I played with Barbies until I was like in grade seven or eight. I, I was very dedicated. And <laughs> so it was like seeing that scene and then seeing the Barbie rise up to the music and these little girls and their like little sad outfits ironing and mothering and then smashing their baby dolls was like, oh, this... This movie, you have me from the opening scenes. If this is magical, and uh, smash those stupid baby dolls because they're <laughs> creepy. So, Brian, you said you'd seen it before, but uh, what was your thoughts? having seen it i enjoyed it it was even better uh in the theater than in the little the 15 second snippet i saw on twitter i get smashing the baby dolls the babies didn't deserve that though and i know that's not what it's about but watching it, i was like oh i'm not <laughs> celebrating killing little babies but babies. i get it they're I get not it. babies it they are the parents creepy who baby, gave the baby dolls. dolls to the kids exactly <laughs> oh but the baby dolls themselves are so creepy they're just creepy i had no guilt whatsoever about seeing them like die baby dolls die <laughs> so but maybe i'm a heartless heartless person so yeah i don't know i feel like it really certainly from a filmmaking point of view because it's a 2001 homage it, it signaled you're not you're not in animated barbie land anymore even though we're gonna go pink in just a minute so she's mm -hmm. basically saying okay if you were dragged to this movie and you think it's gonna be all pink barbie then hang on we hang on it's going to be fine you're going to be okay there's going to be something interesting to watch and i don't know that the smashing the baby dolls to me in the moment it felt like a little unnecessary it, it didn't bother me but it was just like why are we 
doing this. But I it, like a lot of this movie, and I think I'll probably say this more than once tonight, uh, in retrospect, I have sort of different feelings about it than I did at the time. When it was happening, I was just like, I don't I don't know why we need to do this. I mean, I understood the context and the, 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 the reference and all that. But I was just like, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I like subversive. I want subversive. In fact, I wanted more subversive in the moment. I wanted it to be more subversive than I thought it was. And as I say, again, I think I, in rethinking it, it perhaps was subversive in a different way than I expected, but in a good way. Uh, but, you know, when I was watching the scene initially, I was like, oh, wow. I mean, I knew they weren't real babies, obviously, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm OK with it on, upon reflection. It sure gets your attention, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's really unexpected. I think it gets your attention. It certainly um, <clears throat> counteracts the trope of taking care of those baby dolls. And I wonder if it wasn't quite intentional that way to get us to sit up a little bit to say, you're not going to see what you expect to see. Um, because what then follows is so fun and so pink, but so message laden. I think there is so much packed into this movie that I'm still deconstructing it in my mind. And it's been four or five days since I saw it now. Um, I, I think it's a bit of a wake up call to say, pay attention to what's about to happen here. That was my interpretation. But I don't know. Did anyone else have like my in my theater, like the theater was very vocal, especially the first showing I went to. People were cheering. Mm hmm for that so yeah uh, my, my theater was that. weirdly empty i don't know why oh, no. because there was one of those things where they were showing it every 15 minutes in a bunch of different uh in a, mm. a bunch of different uh the auditoriums but for some reason mine was almost empty which was very eerie <laughs> <laughs> They're like what do other people know right i should say i saw mine at the drive-in which was very oh, fun. retro fun that's fun. great yeah it was really fun but also very um not your typical experience, right? So people are in their cars, and mm -hmm. um, so it was fun and different at the same time. My favorite thing about watching this in a theater with people was throughout the movie, you could tell when a joke landed for five people who are exactly my age in the theater, <laughs> yes. and they all cackled. And there was a lot of big laughs throughout the movie, too, but those moments where five people lost their minds at the Matchbox 20 song was, like, my favorite bits of watching the movie. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 someone was saying something, sorry, but that this movie was for everyone and had pieces for everyone. There were so many different layers of groups that it was pointedly towards, but that it, the, the main purpose and the main group that it was aimed at was millennial women and as an elder millennial woman, I felt that ex like every si they they were speaking straight to me. All of the jokes hit exactly how they were supposed to. I got it all, and I was just like, "Oh, they made a movie for me <laughs> in a way that like I know it, so many people felt that way, but specifically, so many layers. The it was just it was incredible. There's a sense of committing to the bit that millennial movies targeted towards us have that we really do yeah. see in the first like Barbie land scene where they're committing to acting like toys, not drinking their coffee, not eating their cereal. It's so funny. Mm -hmm. They commit to yes. every single bit. 
as a Gen X person, my thought was, I need to watch this again because I feel like I, I there wasn't anything I didn't get. I didn't shake my head and go, I don't get this. But there were things <laughs> where I thought, I bet if I saw that again, I'd be like, oh, that's a nice little thing. <laughs> and so I didn't feel the least bit left out. If it's if it's for millennials, congratulations. I'm glad you got a movie. That's great. I enjoyed <laughs> Yay. it too. Yay. So f- so few things are made to directly cater yeah. to the nostalgia of millennials. It's uh, you know, it, it's it's mm-hmm. it's so rarely done. Yeah, thank you, Moises. Can you think of anything else? <laughs> <laughs> Moises, do you have anything thoughts about the opening scene? I love that I overheard a guy say to his date, "You have seen two thousand one, right?" <laughs> <laughs> You're watching The Godfather <gasps> because because uh, because because the the, the, the follow up so laugh perfect. from her later in the movie um, really just oh that's worth it that's perfect so good delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So uh, let's move from the opening scene into Barbie land. And as Brian said, that the creation of this land, and I'd seen some stuff around how she'd really, Greta Gerwig had really thought through creating this land in a way, and from the details, you know, like the empty cups, but also her floating down instead of like walking down, because that is how you interact with your dolls is you pick them up and you move them. You don't carefully walk them down through the Barbie dream house, you know? And so those sort of details just created such a perfect feeling of, of, like this alternate magical reality that was so beautiful and Barbie herself sitting up and interacting with all her friends and kind of starting and, you know, they start with the, the Barbie land as it is supposed to work in the first day and then slowly start picking it apart at the edges in the second day. So. Yeah. And a lot of that was in that first trailer that got me so much, which again, mm-hmm. for me, it's like if 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 you were somebody who knew me in life in, in life and spent a lot of time with me, you would be like, wait, I, mean, I think I think my husband did. I think he looked at me and he's like, wait, you want to see the Barbie movie? What? <laughs> who, who are you and what have you done with the person I married? But the very pinkness of that trailer. And then, of course, you see uh, that they're going to go to the real world. And so it's like we're going to be in pink land and then we're not going to be. And so I loved that part. I, I think that's the part that really got me, but also just the stylized, uh, the way that it was styled and that, yeah, the, it was, they absolutely committed to the bit and all the little details that even in the trailer are very apparent. Uh, I was just like, all right, I'm going to go on this ride with you. I, I really did feel like I'm going to go on a ride and I'm going to have fun. I was talking with my friend Al, who was telling me that when he was watching Barbie ads growing up, the little kids would play with Barbies a very specific way, like bending their head just a certain way. So it looked like Barbie was looking right into the camera and winking or whatever. And I love that they took that 
expectation we have of the way that Mattel presents their own Barbies and completely broke that. We see Barbie just flying down the thing, not being played with by professional kids like Steve Lutz was back in the day. Like we see (laughs) everyone be Barbies as people actually play with them. And that first layer of self-awareness is what really started to put me on the scent of like, oh, Mattel allowed Greta Gerwig to get away with something. Yeah. And embraced it in a way that was surprising to me that it happened. (laughs) And this is the movie that we were lucky enough to get. And I hope that it really like helps um, this happen for other movies. I think because there's a level, obviously, there is no, you know, it's still capitalism, blah, 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 big companies, yada, yada, yada. But like, there's something a little extra that is like, oh, okay, they're allowing this to make fun of them. That kind of opens my heart in a little bit to be like, okay, Mattel isn't all bad. I I mean, I like I like how they don't pull the punches on the on the they've only had two female CEOs <laughs> and, uh, and the the I mean setting up the company to look like the incompetent boobs that this team of executives look like um, yeah I I, I think it, I'm still I'm still amazed that they did not rein things in tighter but I think to some extent they were maybe terrified of trying to do so. <laughs> <laughs> because it works so well uh to to like recharacterize and redo all of that it just it wouldn't fit into the movie as well yeah. um so i you know i i i never want to give overpaid executives at a major mega corporation too much credit but i feel like uh, i feel like Kathy's right like they deserve a fair amount of credit for letting the right version of this go mm-hmm like the bar is in hell, right? The the bar is on right. the floor <laughs> and they raise the bar a little bit in a way that was really refreshing. I agree with you, Moises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I mean, I I don't know whether to be optimistic or not, because, look, anytime you have IP that does really well, it has to become a franchise and it has to become Barbie 2 or Barbie revisited or whatever it is and then every other Mattel toy that's reasonable has to get some sort of franchise treatment and I have no illusions about the opportunity for some of those to be terrible. I don't trust Mattel. I'm glad, I'm pleasantly surprised that they allowed what happened to happen. Uh, I am sorry that to make a commentary like this you essentially in the modern filmmaking world have to franchise it either because you're going to get sued if you try to do something that's Barbie adjacent or because it's just the only way you can have enough money to make a movie. And that's just my sort of, you know, old progressive politics. Uh, it's like, I think I think new progressive politics is more, well, if you're going to sell out, at least do it well and at least do it in such a way that the, the cleverness and the, you know, profound commentary is there. For me, I don't, I don't want them to have to sell out, but that's what we got to do in the modern world, unfortunately. I think the script was really careful to not vilify Mattel. I think the the problem was society, right? Patriarchy, that in some ways Mattel was just another, to some degree, victim of. And I think they portrayed the executive as well-meaning idiots. Ruth came in as this very beloved and authentic, heartfelt character. Um, so... I wonder if they didn't sell them on 
still preserving um, almost a, a wholesome, well-meaning image of Mattel at the heart of it. Um, yeah. Well, and uh, the fact that they made the executives the kind of buffoons they did mean that you're not pillaring anything very specific. Exactly. Just, basically, they're male dancers. I mean, they're just <laughs> up there. Yeah. Doing right. a dance and singing a song and whatever. Right. And so there's nothing specific. Now, I don't remember this, but when they introduced Ruth, do they point out that she, that Ruth Handler was a fa- founder of Mattel or was did they yes. just say that she was the inventor Eventually. of Barbie? Because that's the thing that I was uh, looking for was did no, they, they give did. her the credit? And what's interesting is Ruth's the only one who admits that she did anything wrong in, at Mattel. Because she's dead. Really. <laughs> Because she's dead. Because she's dead. Yeah. So she's the one who who's owned up to tax evasion. I don't remember if any of the executives own up to doing. Well, they talk about only having two women CEOs, so they do some of that gender stuff um, for sure. But um, but no no malfeasance. Nothing. No. Uh, uh-uh. Yeah. Nothing. No nothing. Evil. Nothing criminal or even approaching criminal. No. They just come no. off as a bunch of doofy sitcom dads. Oh, shucks. Yep. Kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't be exactly. trusted with anything. So I think that's the compromise. I wonder if that isn't the compromise they made. They're like, okay, we're not going to, like you say, pillory is a great word. And they're not going to pillory Mattel. And because of that, we're going to get away with all of the rest of this messaging, which in the long run, I think is way more important mm-hmm. yes. to get out there than to somehow skewer Mattel. Because really, who cares about Mattel? Well, and, and right. honestly, if you waste, you, 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 there's a way as a filmmaker that you could be wasting your time. You could say, I'm going to take five minutes out to say what terrible people Mattel are, whatever way I'm going to do that. That detracts not only from the mood of your movie, but from the actual progress of the story. And so I'm not looking for them to attack Mattel in their own backyard. That's not, you know, I'm, I, I guess my, my ultimate idea would be if Mattel wasn't involved, but Mattel is involved. So let's have as much fun as we possibly can. It doesn't feel in the movie that they're kowtowing to Mattel, that, they're, that, that Greta's pulling punches. I mean, yeah. she might be. We don't know what punches she pulled or what jokes she, she just said, mm, I'm not going to do that or whatever. But there's enough in there that, I can feel like she maintained a pretty good amount of artistic integrity. Yeah, Heather, I agree that this is now giving me the vibe of like self-deprecating skit at the Christmas party vibes for the executives. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is right. like all Will Ferrell all the time, right? Yes. I mean, that's... Yeah. <laughs> Right. They couldn't have picked anyone better to pull this exactly. off, right? No, it was perfect. And a Will Ferrell type is what you want for that part. Yeah, And then what we get in exchange is massive amount of social commentary that gets absorbed by all that gets to be witnessed and talked about and discussed and absorbed by all these people. And we're not distracted by a single corporation like Mattel, but instead we get to talk about, or at least hopefully maybe talk about these much, much, much bigger themes about sexism, patriarchy, racism, white saviorism, all these other stuff that the movie's about, which is so much more important than a single corporation. So let's get into that, because I think when you look at Barbie Land, it has this beautiful setup of what sort of the ideal is. And I love how they are sitting there thinking, there are perfect role models and we have solved all the problems for all women in the real world and uh, are just like in this tiny bubble of... of um, female empowerment that does not exist in the real world. And when we, well, for starters, we have um, 
it, I just found it really interesting. Like, it's just such a gender binary. And I was reading an article about how weird Barbie and her collection of misfits are sort of the queer characters oh, yeah. of Barbie land, because we don't like it's very binary about gender. And that's probably yes. the closest thing we see. Not, not only gender, but gender presentation, because yes. I gravitated toward weird Barbie immediately. And whether she's coded as specifically queer or just somebody who has accepted or displays norms that are not the sort of pink stereotypical Barbie norms, uh, she's the character that I immediately went, oh, that's the person I want to hang out with in this land. Not that I had anything negative to say about the Barbies that we know or the Barbies that are pointed at in terms of their jobs, you know, Supreme Court Barbie and President Barbie and all that stuff. President Barbie actually has a couple of lines, so good for her. Uh, but, uh, you know, Weird Barbie is the one where I was like, this is the person that is even if she's not intended as a specifically subversive character, she has a sort of sardonic outsider's perspective. And you don't see that very much in, in Barbie. And that is either, as I say, queer coded or just in terms of gender presentation is different than what everybody else is doing. Weird Barbie is the promise of Kate McKinnon's character in Ghostbusters fulfilled. I'm so glad yes. she got to do this part. <laughs> yes. yes. She's great well, and at I, it. I think in the Time article, she says that that's the only way she took it was that she was like, I'm, no, I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't care how cool this movie is. I cannot do that. And they're like, well, we have this Barbie that's been played with way too much. And she's like, oh, I'm in then. Yeah. <laughs> Give me weird Barbie. Right. Um, yeah. Though I would say Shooty got was Ken. I don't know that he <laughs> he goes pretty queer to me. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I um, Simu lose Ken. Um, for me, I, Margot Robbie was asked uh, which one of her co-stars was most like their on-screen character, and she said Simu Liu was most like his. Um, and that, that kind of checks out based on things I've heard about Simu. So I, I, I wasn't really feeling him as much as I was watching every single thing that Kingsley Benadir and Shudi Gawa did, um, because they were, they were, they made uh, without, uh, without needlessly drawing attention, like they showed up and did the job, um, and were incredibly, incredibly entertaining background um, entertainment, even if they didn't have much to say, they had yeah. vibes to send out. And yeah, if, if shooting got was Ken is not in any way queer coded. I, I think, the, I think the queer coding system is broken <laughs> and we need to start over. Um, frankly, File I think report. the vibes were immaculate yes. as mm -hmm. they say. Yeah, well, and you have this amazing cast of Kens and Barbies, who the whole time I'm I'm like, wow, these are incredible actors all in their own right. And they barely speak, but they are ever, it's sort of like they're the chorus of the movie. And that's the kind of the quality of the chorus, which speaks a lot for the entire cast of the movie, I think. And they're not interchangeable is the point, because like, no, unlike yeah. the joke I made about the Mattel executives, who's just a crew of male dancers, they're all the same yeah. guy, except for Will Ferrell, uh, who's pretty much the same guy still. But all of the Barbies and Kens. But with a Kens, pink tie. So he's different. Yeah. So you <laughs> there know. you go. Totally different. <laughs> he's a feminist. But all the Barbies and Kens, even as they're doing these large group numbers and choreographed things, are all doing their own thing. You are watching the people who barely have any speaking parts. And and that is like my one of my ways of, of judging a movie negatively is if like there's a character you really like and you don't get to hear much from them. Um, and and I, I do feel that a little bit. Like if there's a Ken or a Barbie that I'm watching and I go, oh, that, I love that performance. Please let them talk. 
Uh, and I'm not <laughs> mad at the movie because there was so much she had to do. There wasn't really mm-hmm. room for all of that. But if you're going to make a chorus out of people, you know, at least give them all individuated things to do so that we can sit down and talk about actors who barely have speaking parts, but who are very uh, you know, well-regarded in their profession and would star in other movies. I get big Wes Anderson vibes from that, who is two degrees separated from Greta Gerwig via Noah Baumbach, like very similar kind of we're getting a stacked cast and we're giving everyone a little bit to do. Mostly Margot Robbie and then other people show up too. like Tom Hanks has what, seven lines in the most recent Wes Anderson movie, like and he (laughs) headlines all of his own movies. It is absolutely ridiculous. Very similar here in Barbie. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. So let's leave the real or the barbie land by getting in our car uh getting on a boat then a spaceship (laughs) then a camper and then rollerblades did i get that right and uh come to venice beach and those opening moments when ken comes out and is like this world is amazing people are recognizing me and uh barbie is like people are looking at me and there's feelings it feels violent was a very strong start to that portion of the movie i felt yes i I, I thought it was really bold to introduce us to the central uh villain of of the movie the male gaze uh with that kind of that that kind of uh uh, you know, there, there's a certain amount of it uh, that's, you know, subtext made into dialogue. And there's some of it that is just looking at it, washing over Margot Robbie's eyes that says everything that needs she to be said. She feels it before the movie gives you real evidence of yeah. it, yeah. which I love because it startles you when she says it. And then you think about it and you sort of put yourself in her place for that moment and you go, oh, I've been a woman all my life. huh? Oh, I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You recognize it before you realize what you're recognizing. And uh, the first uh, the first moment of crying for me was when she um, talked to the lady. The first this first example of aging that she's ever seen and said, you're beautiful. And then the lady says, I know. And I'm just like, yes. Like, let's own this very Mm -hmm. basic thing of acknowledging one's own beauty in the real world. And it just made me so happy. And apparently that was a line that Mattel wanted to cut. Oh, really? Yeah. Because that also made me choke up because it sort of really underlined that the Barbie standard is not the only standard that is beautiful. And that felt very important. That woman on the bus bench, by the way, is Anne Roth, who is a famous costume designer. Oh, cool. Hmm. So we they go from there and then uh, Barbie and Ken are looking for her little girl, um, which ends up not being a little girl. But uh, Gloria, played by America Ferreira, who um, I love America Ferreira so much and her daughter Sasha who is in school they find them and she starts trying to figure out like what's going wrong because she thinks the 
you know, the problem. It's it's almost like a red herring of a problem because it sort of becomes a non-problem uh, <laughs> of trying to find out what's wrong with her and getting her feet back. And then that, that sort of problem sort of fades away as the bigger problem arises, which is, and this is the part I didn't expect, Ken discovering patriarchy, which I <laughs> yes. was like, oh my God, this is so brilliant. Um <laughs> Yeah, can, can I say really patriarchy. quickly about Gloria? I love Merrick Ferrara too, and I love the, her her the speech that she gets to give later, yes. although it's a little on the nose. But uh, she does her name as a character is not said in the movie. The reason that we know it is because it's on the cast list, um, and I found that a little odd. I don't know. I just like characters to be named. Her daughter is named, of course. <laughs> we know who she is, but well, could it have you just taken a second? This is my mom, Gloria, or whatever we had to yeah, do. I, Give her a name. I mean, yeah. Will Ferrell names executive number two, which is a joke in and of itself, but can we not <laughs> at least hear Gloria's name once? Right. I didn't, because I, I had to look it up and I was like, oh no, I forgot her name. And now no, I you understand didn't. why. Yeah, you I know didn't why, yeah. know her name. I was just thinking of her as America Ferreira. Uh, although we do know that the Sasha's friends um, are all the Brat Stalls names. Yes. So oh, are they? There's that, you know, Easter egg in there. Spin-off. Which is why they were little brats. <laughs> That's one of the things that I think lets the movie get away with as subversive as it can be. The most radical parts of the movie is when Sasha's kind of like verbally berating Barbie with like, you are a fascist. You are all these things. And we as an audience have the option to write that off as a young kid in middle school who is angry and just kind of spouting things out. Or you can be like, wow, the movie actually said that. And I think it's actually kind of a really interesting bit of sleight of hand that the movie gives you that speech and allows you to say, is this a joke or is this serious? Depending on what baggage you bring to the movie. That's yep. really interesting way oh, to put it because the only epithet that rang false to me was when she said fascist, because my first mm-hmm. thought was, you don't know what that means, kid. And fascism is a real thing, and you don't know. And and so I like the interpretation. It was among so the funny. most uh, among the most thirteen year old accurate things that they had. True, a 13-year-old I will give you movie, that one hundred percent. That's why that's why I think Brian is right that you can interpret it either as the movie it made a misstep, or this is exactly what a thirteen year old kid would say and would exactly not know what she means. <laughs> Yes, my 14-year-old and the 12-year-old that we were with both laughed hysterically at that whole thing because they were like, those are kids that I go to school with. Their TikTok for you pages must be bonkers after this movie. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's it's bananas. Uh, and I have a 17-year-old, so she's a little bit older, but she does know what fascism is because you kind of have to know these days mm-hmm. if you're going to have conversation about what's actually happening in the world. So Yeah. So maybe she doesn't know. Um, can I just back to Ken, like, finding patriarchy and having this experience of being seen? I think it's so interesting because I just think there, there are a lot of layers to that because, of, sh- of course... The obvious layer of this is that, right, this is this is what it's like to for for women in the real world to not be seen. And this is what we live with. Right. Um, But I think by having Ken have this experience in the real world and then having him go back to Barbie land. I wonder, I mean, part of what they're saying is this being seen is a universal the need to be seen is a universal experience. Right. That we mm-hmm. all need to. And and 
any it's the 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 solution here is not that one group just gets to be in charge we don't want to it's the binary system doesn't work but that everybody needs this experience of being seen and valued anyway i just thought that the way that they did that was in some ways really on the nose and really obvious but it seems to have so many reverber reverberations in all the ways that we don't feel seen and i just really appreciated it because i don't know that we get to see that experience in the media very often. We talk about not having representation in the media. I'm uh, queer, right? So I talk about that a lot, but I don't know that we get to see the experience of not having representation or not seeing yourself in the media a lot. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I completely, completely agree. And the, the thing that I find really interesting about the dynamic here is that it's not just the Barbies that that have no defenses, uh, have no uh, no inoculation against this kind of incel chauvinist thing that gets um, imposed upon them. But neither do the Kens. Uh, this is an example exactly. that they are given lacking that sort of of nurture um, versus the nature of their um, pink plastic utopian world. Um, they serve their purpose in that world. And when that's disrupted, when it's upended by any kind of deep knowledge, um, doesn't matter how good or bad it is. It is deep knowledge and it's fresh and it's a new thing. And it is something different than the routine that they've been in over and over and over again. And the, the thing that I hope most happens is that. There are a bunch of people who hate watch this because they've maybe been inculcated, um, conditioned a certain way against many of the messages in the movie. And the movie ends up Trojan horsing its way into impressionable minds of various ages um, and, and makes people actually think about this stuff. Um, I mean, the, the big problem when it came to, you know, movies for teenagers for the longest time was it was all meatballs and porkies and Revenge of the Nerds. Um, that have incredibly, incredibly troubling messages um, for society at large, not just the teenage boys that they were made and marketed to. Um, I, I, I think that the, the subtlety of the way that the conflict is introduced here um, as overt as uh, to Heather's point, as, as it's uh, made. And actually, as all of us have said, there's, there's some points where, boy, it goes real on the nose. But I, I haven't heard any of us really saying that it bothers us that much. And, and I think the reason that it doesn't bother us much is um, is because you got to go a little bit on the nose to do some of the graceful artistic, um, you know, criterion collection DVD stuff um, that that is that is, uh, I, I guess you would say, you know, more sophisticated cinema language. Uh, I just uh, the, the, the marbling together of all this stuff is, is is what really made the movie work for me so well. I also saw a tweet or it might have been a on Mastodon or Blue Sky or who knows where we're talking these days. But it was about <laughs> if you are like and it was targeted like the choice of Ken was being intentional as a white man. So you put the white man in the position where he is defined by his relationship to Ken or to Barbie. He feels unfulfilled if she doesn't look at him. So basically what you've been saying, Heather, but choosing Ken as the the white person is then trying to 
perhaps get those white men to see that this is what it feels like because you never see that represented on screen where you are unseen. Yeah. And so like by flipping it to that and I was like, yeah, and we probably don't feel as uncomfortable because we many of us are used to being um, skipped over. So like the, it's kind of a simple tactic, which is, as you say, very obvious. But um, yeah, it's it's simple. And it kind of works. And maybe it, some people, I think it angered some people, obviously. Yeah, because, just looking at the one star reviews, you can see the people yeah, like that just, it affected because they didn't understand where it was coming look, from. They, they, they were going to lose certain people just by showing Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton's faces. Yeah. Um, I also suspect that like, um, and I, I, I hesitate to use this example, but I'm going to wade right into it. Uh, back before we were all mad at J.K. Rowling, uh, when Harry Potter got criticized, it was by people who thought it was promoting witchcraft. And my belief always had been that those people often had not read the books or seen the movies. And mm -hmm. I believe that there are many people who will criticize, who will and have criticized Barbie, uh, who have never, who have no intention of seeing the movie and know nothing about what it's about. And I think you hit the nail right on the head because Ken is only there to compliment Barbie, literally and figuratively the word compliment. His mm -hmm. rebellion is kind of only in contrast to Barbie. And so when he realizes, oh, there's no horses. I'm not that interested later on in the movie. Yeah. You realize yeah. the only reason he kind of stuck with it was like, oh, this is the only way I can do something different than be Barbie's Ken. And I really loved seeing that moment in him because you're right. You never do get to see it. Well, and I think in the end, it, it does show that patriarchy doesn't really serve the Kens any more than it serves the yeah. Barbies. Exactly. Sorry. And I think that's the deeper point that gets set up by the obvious one, right? Is that the, the Kens are diminished by... Kentopia or whatever it is they call it at the end is the women are right yeah <laughs> uh we, we've we've talked a, a bit about the performances uh but especially ryan Go uh, ryan gosling's um looks of realization and awe at the horses and the <laughs> and the hummer so truck and all of that stuff uh, it just like uh, he he was he was fine he was it was it was entertaining it was, he was reliving his mickey mouse club days whatever yeah. up until this point but but this point is where he won me over huge by so deeply committing to the bit of it is he this is his moment of realization like those little girls in the prologue when they see barbie for the first time <laughs> and and he is he is he's realizing oh oh maybe there is another purpose for me and it's just so so deliciously over the top um and consistent with the rest of the over the top stuff that he does throughout the movie uh, ah. it just it, it it um it 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 makes him uh, so much more fun to watch than I've been used to seeing him in movies. He's leaned into it in all of the interviews outside of the movie too. Mm -hmm. There's I there's a series someone Vogue or someone GQ. does where they GQ, thank you, where they <laughs> you know top ten things uh, this person loves, and it's like, and he did an interview about top ten things for Ken like that you need and my favorite is the sunglasses because he always has to have two pairs the first one is the pair that he has so in case barbie needs them he can hand them over and then the second pair has to be mirrored in case barbie needs to you know check her lipstick or something and i just <laughs> i love how much it's how much fun and how serious 
together he took being Ken. Ryan Gosling is the perfect counterpoint to Jared Leto being a piece of crap to people on set to get a middling performance as Joker. Like when you get people like Ryan Gosling being this serious about something so silly. And another thing I'm thinking of is Tony Collette and Hereditary doing interviews like, yeah, you know, it was just a movie. I had fun when it was the most devastating performance I've seen in years. (laughs) You get so many examples of people acting and committing to it in very professional ways and also having fun with it. I just hate Jared Leto. That's all I wanted to say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I read an article. Obviously, we've all been doing research, but I read an article where at one point the whole cast and Greta and so on, they all went to Magic Mike together, the live performance. And I'm like, (laughs) this just brings me so much joy. And I feel like that level of fun comes through on the screen. So even if you have all these people who don't have a lot of lines, but they're very present and it feels like there's a specific kind of energy that that brings to all of the performances um, on screen. Yeah. I think Shooty did an interview. It was probably a Doctor Who interview, but someone else was asking him about Barbie. And he just said that it was just a blast every day. Uh, they were laughing and there was a lot of improvisation. Um, and one of the funnest um, sets he'd been on. So I think that's right. So uh, let's talk about taking back the power and also uh, the, okay, so Nick would not, my husband would not go with me to this movie. He said he could even watch the trailer. This is not, he just, it's not his thing. Uh, And there was a moment when it was the dance battle and I I leaned over to my friend. I was like, it is really good. Nick's not here because he would hate this. And I <laughs> love it so much. But uh, dance battles. More of brilliant. them. Yes. More dance battles, please. And the, the switch from the beach to like a stage just made Well, me and laugh. that was surprising to me because I, this is the part of the movie where it, it you know, becomes a caper, right? How are the Barbies going to take back power? And there are all sorts of ways you could do it. And I'm not sure I 100% love everything about what they did. but having the dance battle feels like an inspired, I mean, it's entertainment, right? So whatever Mm -hmm. messages we're trying to get across to people, we're also really very invested in continuing to entertain them, even when we've introduced this serious component into the movie. And so the dance dance battle is both a forwarding of the plot and a break from, oh man, patriarchy, such a bummer. What are we going to do about that? So it was great. I thought the best part of the dance battle was that they just can't help themselves in the end they're all just dancing together like it's not yeah. even a battle right right just suddenly everybody's just one team dancing which is that the point of a dance battle you end up everybody so dancing good. yeah everybody's <laughs> just dancing together it was the beaching off inside of us all along <laughs> it went from west side story to how to succeed in business hey we're we are right in in my 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 favorite zone the musical zone um i the the vibes of the the gene kelliness of it all over um when when we got back to barbie land and it had become ken land with all these mojo dojo casa houses and and it, it had the vibes of like those 30s backstage musicals where it's like oh no somebody else has taken over the theater we've got to figure out a way to you know, save the, you know, the, the promoter or something like that, because, you know, the promoter is more important than everybody else. Um, I, I, I enjoyed that there, there were little, little things like that that weren't really overt, but that, um, thematically were, uh, were, were kind of in place. And 
and made it feel more stagey and and sillier when I didn't think it could get stagier or more silly. Um, I, I mean, I we 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 talked about Mattel HQ a little bit, but w- one of my favorite uh, uh, design notes is that all the cubicles have no exit. They're they're in, entirely <laughs> yes, surrounding no, people great. at their desks and. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and the 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 quote unquote real world is 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 a bit ridiculous. Um, and you know we we left Mattel HQ and then we went back to the uh, to uh, to the HQ once uh, once they got Barbie and you know do this this madcap chase sequence that is oh basically out of how to succeed in business without really trying just without any music. Um, <laughs> it just, uh, I, th- yeah, the, the musical theater staging of so much in this movie, I, I think that even if I didn't like all of the really good meaty nutritional stuff, um, I, I would be, I would be in the tank for this on its own just for that. I shared a video with uh, folks in the Lions Towers and Shields channel about Greta Gerwig. Uh, she was she was interviewed by Ben Mankiewicz from TCM, and she talked about a lot of her classic influences. And she mentions things specific musical theater stuff. She also mentions the Red Shoes, the beautiful 1948 Powell Pressburger movie. She mentions Carol Lombard, Catherine Hepburn, people who were you know elegant stars of the 30s and 40s. And there are a lot of little touches. They're not even as big as the things that Moises was talking about. But there are a lot of tiny little things where if you have that context for Gerwig's knowledge of and interest in film, even from the past, uh, that you really and, and like I said, they're so subtle. And that's what the, that's what makes me want to see this. I'm going to have to see this three or four more times because I'm just going to have to mm-hmm. process it all. Yes. And uh, and, I, and I love that. The heistiness of this sequence where they're like doing the infiltration and planning things. I think they realize at this point in the movie they need a little bit of plot to kind of wrap things up. And so they served our plot with the highest ratio of jokes to lines anywhere else in the movie. It reminds me of like the opening of a Bob's Burgers episode level of like joke after joke (laughs) after joke after joke with what they use to lure the Kens and how they react to it and the little like feminist snap out of it thing they say to each of them like whoa i feel like i cared about the justice league like every single (laughs) bit in this movie of this sequence made me laugh we should talk about that speech though because that there's been a lot of talk about america ferrera's rant about the challenges of being a woman and the complete pull in like 500 directions and contradictions of expectations. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that that one by the end of that speech, both times I saw the movie, I was like, yeah. <laughs> How did everyone feel about that? It went by too fast. I and again, I'm the victim of having mm-hmm. seen it once, but I felt like there was so much packed into that dense bit of dialogue and she does it so well that you can't really process the one thing she says before she goes on to the next. I don't know that that's a criticism. I'm just sort of stating it as I saw it. Um, but, I, you know, I think it makes the point. You, you, if you see it once and you don't hear everything she says fully or don't have a t- chance to think about it, you still know what she's saying. And as a woman, you identify with it, which I guess is why I want to go back to it, because there's, it's just so. And it's, you know, in a lot of ways, it's a classic sort of a hero speech. Uh, and she's, she's getting out all of the things that the movie is mad about in that one little speech. And uh, but doing so in not a pretentious way. I mean, she's true to the character and the way she delivers it. Uh, and and because there's so much, you know, packed into such a short speech, uh, I guess that's the only reason that kind of overwhelmed me a little bit. But there's a lot in there. 
I mean, uh, you know, for, forgive my my undergraduate uh, English department courses, but I loved the artifice of it where this speech was a it was like it was a laser sword in Star Wars. It was a sonic <laughs> screwdriver in Doctor Who. It, 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 it you know, what she's saying is important. Yes. But it's function as a as a sword to be wielded against the Kens. Uh, I just found metaphorically hilarious. I think the speech is important, even though it is on the nose. There wasn't, there's not a lot in there that's new if you've been around the block a few times about what it's like to be a woman who works, who mothers, who partners, who does all the things that we do. And, and frankly, I think it's a lot about being a human in today's society. There's, regardless of your gender, there's a, we have really high expectations of ourselves. Um, but I think part of what is so important about that scene is that it's America Ferrer who does it, who says it. It's not the Barbies. It's not the Kens. It's not the white stereotypical Barbie who saves the day. It's the real woman who has dark thoughts, who can't connect to her daughter, who's apparently a receptionist, does not have white skin or blonde hair. Who's the one who comes through and says, who's the one who wields the sword? Thanks, Moises. That was great. Who's the one who wields the sword? So I think this is one of the places where the movie drops just so many, just drops another level and speaks to me as a white woman in a different way, right? Um, we're saying it's not just about men and women, but it's all, it's, this is a movie about privilege. And it's a mm -hmm. movie about what is real. And who is real and what is entitlement come from? And it's not just about the patriarchy. <laughs> and it turns out the meanings of words do matter. Mm -hmm. And the meanings of words do matter. And it, who says them matters and who doesn't say them matters. And um, so that was a 3 a.m. awakening. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that movie is about white people, too. That is not just about boys and girls. No. Nope. <laughs> that movie is about white people and not white people and people... Um, BIPOC people and what white oppression does to them and you need to be thinking a lot more about this movie so um, anyway I think who says that speech is just as important as what she says there that's what I have to say about that no, yes. sugar daddy Ken is off to the side <laughs> nodding in agreement with you <laughs> I think uh, yeah. white savior Barbie is the single line that surprised me the most in the movie so good. for that reason yes yeah. loved it mm -hmm. I yelled yeah, it and that was so important that that be said. Just for those of yeah. us who are too, how our heads are too deeply in the sand to get it, we needed that mm -hmm. little flick on the nose, right? Are you paying attention? Like yeah. smashing the dolls in the beginning. Pay attention. We're saying a lot here. Don't go to sleep. Jumping ahead a mm -hmm. little bit, uh, when we saw this movie in my group, there was some discussion about whether we felt that Sasha kind of forgiving her mom and coming around to her and being a lot more, more like supportive to her, whether or not that was earned or warranted because of how angry she was earlier at the movie at fascism and the patriarchy and everything. And whether or not she should have come along to be like on her mom's side, whether or not that was justified in character for me, this speech is what solidifies why she should be on her mom's side towards the end of the movie because she finally got to see her mom be exasperated about the same things that she has yeah. with so many more years of experience under America Ferrera's belt to say, 
I am just as exhausted as you, 17-year-old kid who is as angry as these things about as me. I really thought that is what led the daughter character to side with the mom by the end. Definitely. Because you you saw before then all of the pieces of mom being mom. She was working. She was busy. She had to be professional. She had to like trying to connect with her daughter but it wasn't working and just all of the the clashing. But this moment where she's like able to be herself and not just, oh, yay, I love Barbie. And and really like acknowledge the fact that she is not just mom, but she's uh, a woman and a person and a human and an adult who used to be a kid. And the her daughter gets to see Gloria become this all not just mom but become all of the things that she's is and was trying to be and trying to prove and and show showcase it It, it's really beautiful that it 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 takes a mother-daughter relationship moment and you know it's it's like in the superhero movies where you know uh, in in one of those America Ferrer's eyes would be glowing and her fists would be surrounded by sparkly magic or something like that and she'd be flying, um, and it's all of that just in just in the words that she is saying and the uh, the resetting recalibration of the way that people talk and think about things. Uh, we went through a, a period where there was a lot of noise that was getting in the way of clarity of thought and reality being reality. Um, and other people, you know, trying to impose an alternate reality, um, on top of the actual reality that's out there. Um, and it, uh, you know, regardless of whether it applies to people's individual household, family dynamic, found family, uh, dynamics, um, having having the mother and daughter in you know in in conflict not so much in in the way that you know i've i've seen it even in movies like ladybird um but having them come to an accord um in the way that they did without the entire movie having to be built around the two of them uh fighting or hating each other um you know there is that 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 teenage um you know uh, uh uh you know rough edges between them sure it's there but it it doesn't it doesn't dominate the relationship and and make it feel stereotypical it feels lived in it feels real um in this movie that is full of incredibly unreal things um i i just i the the really important sensitive tender moments like that they they work as well as they do because of not just how well they're performed, um, but but because as ridiculous as the the various trappings of the movie surrounding it are, um, th- like that that brings you back home. At the end of the day, can I say too those scenes when we finally realize that well, when Barbie realizes that it's Gloria's memories and we see those memories that um. From Gloria's point of POV of the you know the doll and the the child and we realize it's her, um, and it's not just that she's having conflict with Sasha, but that Sasha's growing up and they're they're becoming distant. Um, that's just that that there's just such emotional realism there. As you know, as my daughters 
entering her senior year in high school. And there's that growing independence. Oh, just ugh, got me in my heart. Um, I think they capture that really, really beautifully. And the sadness that comes that um, I think probably for your first kid, uh, I don't know, I'd only have one. So I don't know if it happens if you have more, but where you realize how much you miss them as they get older and they get more independent. You don't really, I didn't know that you were going to miss them so much. And I saw that so clearly. It's such a beautiful job catching that, that part of the relationship. Getting a little bit of Toy Story in the middle of this Barbie movie. <laughs> Should we talk about the ending? One of the things that came up from two separate people when I said I was doing this episode is looking at the nice conversation between Barbie and Ken when Barbie uh, apologizes to Ken and tells him he won't, she won't take him for granted anymore. And two people said, she apologizes. Ken says, thanks. He does not apologize to Barbie, yeah. which is kind <laughs> of a big hole there because I think uh, what Ken did is actually far worse than what Barbie did. Well, and he, and, uh, and should should he have? Yes. Is it in keeping with his character that he didn't? I think absolutely. He, yes. Mm. Yeah. Yes. That he's I, completely he's completely oblivious to the fact that he should. And mm. it's why they're not ready to turn it over, right? To be remember because Barbie says, "Yeah, eventually maybe they'll have as much power as we do." And I think it's like, yeah, they are not quite there yet, right? <laughs> Another criticism mm -hmm. I heard from people I watched the movie with was that Ken had more to do in the movie than Barbie and that Ken had more of a character arc than Barbie. I disagree on the latter, but I might agree on the former because he is the thrust of like the last act of the movie. But I feel like giving Barbie the ending that she gets is enough to kind of overpower that. We do get a little Return of the King by the end, a little bit, several endings in. That's the one thing I didn't like about the movie. That wasn't like 100%. This is like a 95%. Yeah, the ending didn't feel like they stuck a landing. It felt like, well, we need to wrap this up. And so I think that's it's kind of the weakest part of the movie, just in terms of storytelling and in terms of dialogue and, and the like. I don't think it detracts from the movie overall. But I felt like it, it felt like they were looking for a way out. And this is the one that they chose. And it kind of works, but not as well as the rest. Do you mean the moments with Ruth where she sees the scenes or do you mean her choosing the real world? What, what part of the I, I don't do know. Mean? I mean, uh, to sort of the, the when she's about to go to the real world, the stuff with Ruth was great. I liked that callback. Um, and I, you know, I don't mind that she, you know, she goes the, the, the real world. She goes the gynecologist. That's great. That's funny. Uh, but I guess that part in between, like right as she's about to go to the real world, I just felt like it lost the thread a little bit. I can't really explain it very well because I'd have to remember the dialogue because some of the stuff that Barbie says, she it just feels like she's kind of trailing off and you don't know where she's going. And the next thing you see, she's in the real world, which felt feels like it's inevitable and that's fine. But it just, it feels like there was something, I don't know, maybe I wanted something a little more definite than is re realistic to expect. <laughs> a, a thing that, that I got from it uh, relating to uh, Greta and I are at, uh, of an approximate age. Um, I, I feel like part of that conversation with Ruth going back to the, Hey, have you guys ever thought about dying thing is that, you know, entering early middle age, there is some like contemplation of mortality and what it means to, you know, live a life and, and, a, and a life worth living and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, the, the time I saw it, there are parts of it that I know that I was paying attention to. And there were parts where my mind drifted and I was thinking about stuff. 
and um, and I kind of I kind of dig when movies um, make it difficult for me to pay attention, not because of like motion sickness uh, with giant space battles or something, um, but but because they get me thinking about my own life and what I'm going to do when I imminently leave that theater. Um, you know, I, I for me, it didn't it didn't feel really Return of the Kingy. Um, it didn't feel like I would have chopped anything out of the ending though i can i can i can sympathize with the feeling of you know let's let's move it along let's get to the credits but but for me that last line um the moment i start to check my watch that the last word in the movie is gynecologist um <laughs> and that, that alone <laughs> which just set people ablaze um oh yeah with was, fury it's funny it was hilarious on, to, on, to, on top of other things that un, unreasonable people were angry about um you know how <laughs> dare you say the word gynecologist in this movie targeted at you know poor innocent young girls who Mommy, should never know what a gynecologist <laughs> is apparently <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, uh, I, uh, I, I, I can't, I can't quite agree with, uh, with, with, with the ending needing to be, uh, you know, tightened up. Um, you know, we, we get those pink Birkenstocks and that, that kind of, I, I, I like that they let it breathe a little bit and it's not just, all right, we've defeated the great evil and now we're going to fly off into space. I, I don't wish the ending were more compressed. I feel like they set up a lot of threads and they just needed extra time to wrap everything up. I actually am on the other side of the coin as Shelley, where I loved Ruth and the visions and, you know, the real world and all of that. I did cry. Um, for me, it was the big conversation of everyone in Barbie land. I think where I my biggest thumbs down of the movie was the executives coming about like, hi, I'm Will Ferrell again. Uh, we're good. Right. I, I feel like that part didn't really tie up as well as I wish it did, given how much I loved watching Will Ferrell be buddy, the elf. I love that it, I know I ran a, a romance podcast. I love they don't end up together. I think it goes back to <laughs> yes. what we were saying Agreed. earlier is he's not ready. He, and, and the yeah. whole, you are, you don't you need to know who you are first and neither of us know who we are we have to figure that out i really like that piece because i think knowing yourself is how you come better to any relationship not just romantic but all your relationships i think the whole for me was that it's like yeah we're really on the nose about as we've said patriarchy being not a good thing for for Barbie or Ken for any of us but there's no alternative and it's sort of like well we're just kind and it says we're going to do things differently but then they said then they're not really doing anything really that differently they've they're bringing in the same court they're doing the same system so it's like i know that this would be a very like i'm asking too much of this movie and i fully understand this this movie is not going to give us an alternative to patriarchy, but I really no. <laughs> kind of wanted to see something or at least acknowledge in a better way that it, it it's like going back to uh, like what Barbie's running. Everything isn't exactly the best solution either. So well, the Kens did yeah. get a couple of judges. Yeah, yeah, but that seems really token. And, and I know it's satisfying to hear that you'll get as much part power as women get in the real world. But that's just giving Ken our position, which isn't actually a good thing, you know. So it's like that's not really an alternative to patriarchy. So yeah, I mean, I I, I can I, I think I think there's only so much that they can do in one yeah movie. And what I like is that they leave it as well. This isn't a lasting solution, 
and more work needs to be done to upend the the uh, philosophically there is that issue with the barbie line of yes they have all these barbies who can be anything and do anything but sometimes that's the problem of that pressure being applied to kids where it's like oh you can be anything and do anything and the mm-hmm. kids like i just want to like pay my rent and have fun <laughs> I yeah. don't know that I, I need to, you know, have all of the pressure of mega achievement, you know, laid at my feet. Um, I, I think I think it's good that there are open questions here, not because I feel like we need seven more Barbie movies. We'll mm-hmm. get seven more Barbie movies um, because this thing made a gigantic amount of money. So, you know, whether they're good or not, we're going to get more Barbie movies. My hope is that the next one just keeps going further down this road of 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 examining okay you know what let's use barbie as a lens to figure out how maybe we can we can nudge society in the right direction of a more collaborative more equitable um equality focused as a goal uh, kind of social hierarchy um mm-hmm. if barbie can 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 bring world peace Great, because nothing else has worked. Uh, you know, there there are worse things than trying. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I'm 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 okay with with not having Barbie society fixed at the end of this. But at the least, we get the idea that things are moving in a positive direction. I wonder too if by holding the toys constant and Mattel, right? So none of the plastics or none of the executives changed really barbie land's the same it allows it really highlights the character arcs of sasha gloria and stereotypical barbie who who do grow and change right Mm -hmm. and in particular for stereotypical typical barbie she comes out of this place of no real thought and no feeling no connection to herself or to the real world and makes a choice to come out of this land of pink, fake plasticness into the real world and to be a real person and to connect to her body as a real female body, mm-hmm. which I think is the point of the last line. Because as I ended up saying twice today, perhaps unconsciously knowing we were going to have this conversation at the end of my day, women's bodies really want, you know, most of society tells us they should be invisible or not present at all. So having the last line be gynecologist, I think it's really relevant that she chose to step out of plastic and into a real body. Um, I think it's quite purposeful. And by having nothing else change except these three uh, people, these three characters, it really highlights their arcs. So I wonder if it's a crafty thing. Storytelling okay. craft. I, I buy that. I you're convincing me, both of you. So okay, I buy it. <laughs> there's a direct echo. There's direct echo back, you know, not to spoil Little Women for people who haven't seen it, but the you way should. that Greta Gerwig ends Little Women is is about what the next step forward is and 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 where Joe March's story goes in the generations to come and and for you know Joe's life itself. And um you know, thinking about things that previous people adapting the story of little woman uh weren't thinking about they were just going we're going to put the the book on screen um i i like that there is that that bit of additional thought put into it even though we're not given a hard and fast answer to all of our problems or questions or anything 
um, I, you know, I feel like there really is, there, there's a, there's a substantive amount of intent, uh, behind, behind, uh, leaving it where we leave it. I think there's an, also an important thing to think about is the fact that Barbie didn't know that Ken was unhappy, didn't know about this, mm -hmm. you know, um, unbalanced thing because she was living her life and everything was great until it wasn't. But like, this is just how it was. And I think there's a little bit of time takes or it, it takes time to make change. And so, yes, there's a couple Ken's on the Supreme court and who knows, you know, what will happen over time, even though stereotypical Barbie isn't there anymore, but like being able to to realize that we also don't know what we don't know um, and and reminding ourselves that being open to learn about other people's situations can help us be a better person in and of ourselves so we can make mm -hmm. those changes in the future. I like that. Yeah, I mean, the the thing that 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 comes across to me is the most overt part of this political messaging is that, you know, uh, when when I was going through high school, it was, oh, you kids these days, you don't know how to balance a checkbook. And that was an example of lots of basic life skills that used to be taught in home economics, which used to be required so that kids at least knew how to change a tire, how to cook an egg, uh, how to do various things that have gotten pushed further and further away from there being somewhere outside of the home that is watching out for kids and helping them learn how to do just some basic society stuff um, in, in terms of living and surviving. Um, and the, the more and more that kids are kind of left to their own devices, literally their electronic devices sometimes, mm -hmm. to learn about things from TikTok, uh, like the, for, for me, that, like that was where the movie landed for me in a, in a really profound way. Um, and I, I can only assume that that was very intentional, not just, you know, something pulled out of the air, um, you know, as, as over the top, as on the nose as different parts of this, uh, movie, uh, you know, can be at times, um, that, that there is that broader, you know what, you don't know unless you're taught or unless you were given the tools to teach yourself, um, that the and and that it is okay if you screw up as long as you are willing to learn and do better. Well, I think that we have come to the end of the movie. We have come to the end of our episode. So I'm going to give everyone a quick opportunity to give me any final thoughts before we wrap this up. So starting with you, Shelley, final thoughts. Well, I guess I have to reiterate some things I've already said just really quickly to say that I I wanted. I was I wanted this movie to be incredibly subversive. I was looking for that. And if it wasn't, especially since it was backed by a major corporation that makes toys, I was going to be extremely disappointed. And, and I th that was the, the area in which my expectations were most subject to being dashed, because I was like, how in the world are you going to thread that needle and actually, you know, make some political statements that are meaningful, that are more than just platitudes. And, you know, there's a lot of political platitudes that we can agree with. Uh, but the movie had a lot of subtlety that I didn't expect, uh, not just the the fact that you have existential crises and stuff, but but that there was actual subtle messaging. I've done a lot of reading since I watched it, and I don't agree with everything I've read, but I've, a lot of people 
see a great many things in this movie, and I would encourage you, uh, whether you've seen it or whether you've just listened to this podcast or whatever, to seek out some of the better commentary on it, because there's a lot of really thoughtful stuff that you wouldn't expect for a pink dollhouse kind of movie uh, to have. And I think it's creating really interesting conversations except in certain areas where it's just making people mad. And I don't care because those people deserve to be mad. Uh, I thought I'd say that wrong. I don't care because what makes those people mad makes me happy. Uh, Anyway, um, delightful movie. Little little bitty nits to pick, but that's fine. I'm glad I went and I probably will go back. Excellent. Kathy, your final thoughts. I... This movie was everything I didn't even think it could even be. I was so happy that I was able to experience it um, in the theater with a bunch of people um, and with a group like the audience made this experience even better. I can't wait to watch it again. I can't wait to own it. Um, And I just... If you are if if you are listening, well, first off, if you've listened this far in the podcast and you haven't seen the movie, I really don't understand <laughs> who you are as a person. And that's OK. I don't have to understand. <laughs> but please go and watch this movie. Um, give Greta Gerwig your support uh, and get more of these movies made. Um, and I think uh, it. I'm excited to see what this brings in the future. Um, Heather, your final thoughts. I just am so excited and grateful that there is a movie that my daughter and I both enjoy equally and get to have so many conversations about and both relate to in a pop culture way, um, which doesn't happen very much. She's not the same kind of nerd I am. So she saw it before I did. She came home super excited. She's like, Mom, you have to see this movie as soon as possible. I can't wait to talk to you about it. So that doesn't happen in our home a lot. So I'm really grateful for that. And um, I know there are Barbie movies to come. I I don't know that Greta and Margot will make them together, but I hope they do. So, you know, when they listen to our podcast, mm-hmm. let, you know, you ladies, you go do this together. We want more from you. <laughs> <laughs> you have our support here at The Incomparable. <laughs> um, Brian, final thoughts. Yeah, the atom bomb effects were pretty cool. Cillian Murphy was pretty good. Oh, what's that? Oh, oops, sorry. Um, this Killian, movie, Killian Murphy, Killian, Murphy. Killian Murphy. Thank you, Killian. Sorry, I had tonight. to. Ex- I had to explain one thing to somebody. <laughs> Have you this seen movie the was my favorite thing I've seen this year. I had I went in with extremely high expectations. They even beat that expectation. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about yet was Depression Barbie, another kind of jab at the expectations around what we see from the corporate Barbie image being subversed mm-hmm. in a way that was super duper funny. Uh, I don't think I've had a piece of media lead to more fun discussions with my friends about who they are and how they feel as Barbie, except for maybe Bo is Afraid, but that's a completely different podcast. <laughs> Um, Moises uh, there's so many delightful little moments that uh, that people have brought up you know in in mass um, as favorite things and things that, that really stood out and you know little personal things that I loved Hari Neff uh, getting to do the oh under those glasses you're beautiful thing with Ryan Gosling <laughs> um, you know a, a favorite bad trope in rom-coms 
reduced to 15 seconds of screen time. Uh, Issa Rae's pronunciation of the Godfather um, <laughs> was was delightful. Uh, the the true Prince of Wales comedian Rob Brydon as Sugar Daddy Ken um, <laughs> made me yelp. No one else in the theater yelped. Uh, I'm just a fan of Welsh comedians, specifically Rob Brydon. Um, wh- whatever terrible man saying Matchbox 20's push directly in Greta Gerwig's face. <laughs> I, I hope he continues to shrivel up more and more every time somebody talks about how hilarious that was. Um, yeah, I, I love that there, there, there are moments that uh, speak to all of us individually um, and things that, you know, uh, the, the, the broad consensus of the reasonable audience going to see this uh, can commiserate over and relate over. Um, and I love that there, there are, there are those little personal things, uh, that we can all, um, take away from it. Um, and yeah, I, if they're going to do another one of these, I think they need to back up the Brinks truck and make it worth Greta and Margot's while, because I don't, I don't see how you continue this on without, that brain trust behind it and saying no to the executives at the right times um, and, and choosing the battles for a sequel the way that they chose the battles for this one that um, really did I, surprise a lot of people as well as I think people were expecting it to do. I, I don't think any of its expectations could have predicted just how successful it has been already and how successful it'll be uh, on home video too. I agree with you 100%. I went in thinking we don't need a sequel. I think that um, that would be the only way I could see it being good and not just like a limp, shadowy, I don't know. The Lego lame, movie too. Like, 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 I don't know that, like, it'll just be a, yeah. a bad version. It won't be good. The, I think the thing, my final thought is, Brian, you said it, I think it was you that said in the beginning that some people said this movie wasn't feminine. I said that... Mat- in he- the Time article, Mat- the interviewer oh, asked Mattel yes. about it being a feminist, yes. and they're like, "Oh, this isn't a feminist movie." And Margot Robbie was like, "Uh, yeah. really? They said that? Okay." <laughs> that is fascinating to me, and I'm uh, I'm feminist. Sit with that feminist, for a while. feminist is one of those loaded words. We want to feel like we're we're a company of products for everyone. They're empowering women <laughs> instead, um, I guess. Yeah, we're we're uh, empowering right. people to be whoever they want to be. You want to be a feminist? Good for you, little sister. <laughs> I believe we're in not. You. A, we're not feminists. We just want you know. We just want everyone treated equal. But we're not feminists. No, let's not. Forbid. Let's not put any labels on things, Mm-mm. especially if they're accurate. Uh, well, price thank tags. You. Price tags. We can do. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me, Shelley Brisbane. Thank you. Uh, whenever I'm riding around in my Barbie convertible, closer to fine is always my soundtrack. Oh, that is perfect. And thank you for joining us, Heather. Bye, Barbie. <laughs> and thank you, Kathy, for coming. All right. Bon voyage to reality and good luck restoring the membrane that separates our world from theirs so you don't get cellulite. Bye, Barbies. (laughs) Bye, Barbie. Thank you, Brian. Gynecologist. Wait, crap. That's not the last line of the podcast. Dang it. (laughs) Oh, missed it by one. (laughs) And thank you, Moises. Uh, uh, Just uh, uh, hold on. Sublime. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, I say goodbye, Barbies. 
Bye, Bye Barbie. Barbie.